If you're tuning in, welcome to Stage Dives, the new podcast brought to you by Smack Media out of Toronto, Canada, that plans to go to the best concerts in the city and beyond to give you a deep dive on our favorite artists, plus our favorite stories in the entertainment world. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Where are my Stitch people at? <laughs> no, okay. Be, be sure to visit our website at smackmedia.ca, where you can find new content and readables from our three-year archive, which means listicles, think pieces, features on classic albums, cool stuff we saw on the internet, the whole nine. We're also starting a mailbag. We've actually already started it. Email us if you have a story to share from a concert you attended or a question you have, maybe a mistake to clear up. If it's good, it will be read. You can find our contact on our website. On today's episode, recorded on March 19th, we're going to be breaking down Mitski's terrific sold-out show at Massey Hall last night. Her blink-of-the-eye rise to premier indie darling, and honestly, one of the loudest, most rapturous audiences I've seen in my entire life. All from three people who have trouble holding back tears and phone screens. <laughs> Coming right up on Stage Dives. We're here talking about Mitski, one of the biggest indie artists in the world right now. She's absolutely massive, sort of blurring the lines between indie music and mainstream pop, since she has a number one song on the adult alternative, alternative charts. Her last album went number one, Laurel Hell, and her album prior to that, Be the Cowboy, was widely awarded album of the year. Strange, because most of the people I speak to do not know who she is. <laughs> uh... Her vid videos created using her music amount to over 1 billion views on TikTok, which is insane. <laughs> the three of us went to her show last night. It was excellent. Let's start with you guys. I got Tony Todorova here from Smack Media, one of our fantastic writers uh, and a Mitski superman. Tony, say hello. Hi. We also got Jared Marshall here. Most of you will know him from the Tyler, the Creator episode. He's an icon of <laughs> Smack Media and one of the founders my good buddy, Jared. Say hello. Hello, hello, hello. What'd you guys think of the show last night? You go first. Oh, I feel like I just witnessed a sermon, basically. I, it, was, it was like going to church. It was like watching a prophet speak to her followers and her disciples and just everyone like giving her reciprocal action. It was, it was quite an experience. What did you think, Tony? I loved it. It was, there was so much to sort of like unpack about the performance, but I sort of just tried to stay in the moment. I thought she did like a wonderful job of, everyone was so captivating, captivated by her. Absolutely. Absolutely. It definitely felt like she was controlling us in a way. <laughs> so I, I did not plan on going to the show and I actually got the ticket last minute. Um, so I weirdly was looking at my phone, really wanting to get out of my house and I knew this show was sold out. It's actually sold out all over North America. Another testament to her overwhelming popularity. Um, tickets last night were going for, I think, 200, 250 bucks. I don't know what happened. If it was like roulette and like a little real life roulette. But I looked on my phone on the Massey Hall website and there were two tickets available on the floor 
for face value, which was sixty-five dollars. I still don't know how you pulled that off. I, I really, that is crazy. To right? Me if you I were you, I'd think that I was lying. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> right? I, I, like, I trust you, but what the hell, dude? Like, that's. I was, I was scared. I get like ticket anxiety and stuff, so I was looking at my phone and I just go, bye, bye, uh, as in B U Y, not as in goodbye, <laughs> and and I kind of have password amnesia mm-hmm. sometimes because we have so many of them because some of them have symbols and i'm just like did this one work did this one work i went on my computer where my passwords were all remembered and those tickets were gone mm. and then i realized that the at symbol was just all i needed to add on my phone and that i was holding on to the ticket that was occupied on the uh, computer so nice. i got the ticket i slack my two friends here and say hey i'm coming to the show <laughs> i kind of feel bad about it because i'm kind of i like mitski but I am not nowhere. I am nowhere near as big a Mitski fan as the large, large, large majority of people last night. We're going to talk about that later. But like, there are probably people that went in there and paid $220. They might be listening to this pod right now and they're going, screw this guy. Because <laughs> <laughs> he kind of likes Mitski and he dropped a bunch of money. Now, I, I do like Mitski. I do respect her and I've done a lot of research. <laughs> but I was, I was just planning on hosting this show with my two partners here who very much, very much love Mitski. Um, we're going to talk more about this. Um, but I just, I just was, I was prepared to expect a big fan response. Um, you know, she went on hiatus for two years. Um, and I knew that her coming back of these would be a lot of first time viewers. And I know her fans are famously intense. So I was ready for it, but I was shocked, (laughs) like just absolutely shocked by how loud this audience was and not disrespectfully loud. We're not talking like, Every time they were supposed to cheer, they over cheer. When you're supposed to be quiet, they were like militantly quiet. And I'm just sitting there and I'm going, holy moly. It was just 2750 people just singing and screaming. I know that, you know, one of the famous stories is like, ah, you know, the Beatles, the Beatles had to stop playing live because the speakers couldn't handle the audiences. (laughs) And they were like, ah, what's the point anymore? That's like 1964. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, like I figured that like, that's like a cup and a string. This is like 2022 and with like a newly renovated sound system, couldn't hear her for a lot of this because the audience was that loud. Well, I'm actually curious because Tony, you're kind of a, you know, you're pretty well read on Mitski's uh, stage uh, mm-hmm. antics and her live performances. This is like kind of a regular thing with her that like the audience is constantly like kind of not overpowering her, but like, sorry, I would like to. Yeah, no, yeah, I know that was definitely something we sort of spoke about briefly after the show. But we were just like, did you have trouble hearing her? I had trouble hearing her at sometimes. It's like, I think it was both a combination of maybe the mic wasn't turned up enough, but also the fans were so loud. It was hard to tell which one was the case. And I've noticed that with like some YouTube videos of like her live performances. So it's tough to know. It's like, is it because it's a recording or is the like, is the crowd just that loud? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they, I've never seen that before. I've never. I think they were that loud. And Aaron, you've gone to a lot of shows, and you've never seen anything like that, huh? I mean, like if you're in an arena and you've got that sound system, then yeah, it's hard to overpower that. But this is Massey Hall, right? Right. Which is a little bit tighter, still like, and predominantly female voices in the crowd, too. I would imagine the large majority of the audience was female, uh, which means higher pitched screaming, (laughs) which means it could drown out, like you know, 
there's a difference between yeah and like really, really and really really like high school she could she could penetrate the yes you know what I mean? which is what i was doing i know i really what the hell to do there i really thought it was awesome when the crowd went like falsetto for some of the songs like they for really me, got if, yeah, no, that was a, for me i was like i was like wow my voice isn't as high as i thought it was like, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah like i love I, we gotta get to the show honestly we should get to the show because we could talk about this all day long but i really want to get to the goods before we break down the concert yeah. um jared so she's just okay not jared sorry yeah uh, she's touring laurel hell which is her it's by every measure a smash success record uh you loved it jared you were really into it. You were I, 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 I not loved, but really, really enjoyed. I really liked it. Yes, you liked it, Tony. And when you first heard it, you were uh, you had high expectations. You were uh, thirsty for Mitski after two years of no content. Uh, a little underwhelmed, perhaps you were at first. Yeah, like I loved the singles. Like when Working for the Knife was the lead single. I think it was then it was Heat Lightning, The Only Heartbreaker, Love Me More. I think I might have mixed up no, the exact order, but that right. Yeah. <laughs> I loved the singles. I thought they were some of the most powerful songs still on the record, but I guess when I heard some of the tracks in between, it took a while for me to like it for sure. Mm. And I can't, I wish I could put my finger on why, like I was trying to figure it out why the songs just didn't hit the way that I thought they would after, like you said, I was thirsty for Mitsuke for so long. <laughs> right. Um, I, I still can't properly articulate why it's just a feeling. Did last night change anything for you guys? Did, did it did it in, in person seeing those songs performed with the band with her doing her interpretive dance and performance did this sort of now open your eyes like oh my god this is a great record or was it an affirmation or were you like oh yeah I'm, I'm kind of more down to hear the classic Mitski material for me yes actually i did reevaluate the album i i think just because i assume we're going to get to this later but a specific song in the set list translated so well live heat lightning yes okay it sounds like it sounds good on the record, but live it just felt like almost like weirdly like beach housey. <laughs> like I, that's oh, only yeah. I mm -hmm. comparisons are not my favorite thing, but it's like the only thing that I can. I guess I just don't have the adjectives for it, so that's the only thing I can kind of like. Seems like it just sounded so big, epic, epic, it's epic. Yeah, and in the it sounds more ballady. I think when it's on the record on the recording, but live, oh my god, so good. Yeah, because on on the record, I it almost feels like one of the quieter for me. It feels almost a little bit like one of the more quieter songs off of "Let England Shake" by PJ Harvey. Yes. Um, so, but yeah, it it had a very um, what's the word? A yeah, um, a very hypnotic effect in like the live performance of it. Yeah, it was so much more expressive live, and like I understood the emotion behind it a lot more seeing it live and seeing her sing it. Yeah. Just on note of the, her hiatus. So she leaves in September, 2019. She announces that her performance in New York, I believe at central park is going to be her last indefinitely, maybe for a little while. I call it a sabbatical, um, which paves the way for Laurel hell, which is, you know, everybody really wants this album after this huge artist now walks away. Uh, Kind of a stealth move. <laughs> kind of a stealth move. Like, she leaves September 2019, as I just said. That is four months before the fucking world shuts down. True. Right? That's smart. And, like, she obviously didn't... She's not, you know, <laughs> yeah. she's not in the Illuminati. She's not, like... <laughs> yeah. this is that. She's not friends with, like, the U.S. politicians who are investing in Slack and masks and... The stock market <laughs> the was stock feeding her market, some information. 100%. She, she got I a hot think, tip. I don't think... Yeah, I don't think Mitski's in there. She's like, oh, I better leave before all... <laughs> but, like... Think about like how good the timing is. She leaves four months before the world shuts down. You can't tour. It's really hard to get a session together with musicians. There are no festivals. And she goes, 
I'm out of here. Mm. I gotta go. Could not be better timing, seriously. Then she returns just as the pandemic winds down. That's just two years, gives everybody two years to go out and find her old material and become fans. And it clearly really worked. I, I, I wonder, I mean, I was looking into her shows before she had left and yeah, all sold out. But I wonder if it would have been like, you can't hear her. You can't hear her. That's how loud everybody is. That's how much people love her. That's TikTok becomes a thing. And TikTok right. is now, I don't know, more influential than any label, any artist. <laughs> it's like blowing yep. songs up. And she's found a really good home there. Um, so Mitski comes on the scene originally in 2014. It's eight years ago. We had eight years of Mitski. Weird. Weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, she puts her first two records out while studying at per Parichis? Parichis Co College conservatory of music uh then comes bury me at make a creek which moves her from the piano to the guitar dead oceans hears it picks her up right away this is going to be the next big thing they say in 2015 she gives them puberty too oh, fuck yeah <laughs> right yeah. and she's now en route to becoming this indie household name then comes 2017 which i think is a pretty make or break year for mitski she's got these three excellent records all available on streaming that everyone is really uh, enchanted with and really holding on to. She starts hitting all the festivals, Coachella, Panorama, FYF, Pitchfork. She's opening for Pixies, a match mm. made in like heaven. And all the Gen Xers and the older millennials are hearing Mitski. It's opening her up to that audience. Mm -hmm. 2018, she opens up for Lord. She <laughs> opens up for Lord, which opens her up to the Gen Zs. Uh, it puts her in front of that audience. Um, including Tony here who saw that <laughs> show. Tony, I, I got to hold on because we got to talk about that later on because there's Absolutely. some, there's some juice there because <laughs> apparently those shows didn't go as obviously as swimmingly as last night's confirm. Yeah. <laughs> Interested to hear more about that. Right. Um, more on this later. <laughs> then comes be the cowboy, uh, which hits the internet as a pre-order download without announcement. She drops geyser. She drops nobody. Then comes Two Slow Dancers. Everyone is taking account of how this music is kind of dreamier and more synthy. And she just completely takes off. This is when I hear the name uh, of Mitski. Not smart enough to go out and check it out. <laughs> I, think I, was, uh, I was a little kanye out at the time. Uh, uh, but, you know, Pitchfork, Consequence of Sound, now known as Consequence, Vulture, three very different vertical uh, media companies. They all call it the album of the year. The New Yorker, the New York Times, the Guardian are profiling her. Um, so you guys are huge Mitski stands, and I, I feel like any Mitski fan or stan uh, have, can jump in at really any point. If you were really on top of it, you'd have heard Bury Me at Makeout Creek when it came out, but that'd be pretty rare, I'd say. Uh, when does this start for you? Uh, let's start with Jared. When did you first hear Mitski? So Be the Cowboy comes out the weekend that I start college. Uh, I've moved to Toronto at this point, and everyone who I'm close to who lives in Toronto is not in the city for whatever reason. So I'm 19. I'm wandering the streets of Toronto alone. I'm going through kind of a bit of a mental health episode, frankly. Mm. And I hear songs like Nobody and Lonesome Love. And I don't actually love Be the Cowboy, right when it first comes out but these two songs in particular really really kind of capture this sort of like intrinsic feeling of loneliness that i hadn't really heard put to pen and paper or totally. put to like tape before and it just i don't know it really it, it kind of got me through those first couple of weeks and it's the first time that i realized how resonant how emotionally resonant mitski's music could be and then as you know time goes on i start to 
delve more into Be the Cowboy. I delve more into Puberty 2. And it was a very natural process. Uh, but yeah, from that was that was the inception. That healing. Was, it was just a healing Healing. Artist. I'd say I'd say there was solace. There was a lot of solace. T- 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 Tony. Yes. How about you? Because you're a humongous fan. I actually knew you were a fan before you were writing for us. Yeah. I, like, I, I believe Jared was like, I want to go with my friend to this concert. And then you started writing for Smack. So I, yeah. I identify you as a Mitski fan. Over kind of first like before you even like met me, saw your yeah. face, like knew your name. Um, so where where does that start for you? What's the first time you heard Mitski? What was that like? And how did you go from there? Yeah, I mean, in terms of its my like the themes of Mitski's music and and what attract I guess attracted me. That's kind of a weird verb, but it's really similar to Jared's story. I mean, not necessarily in the events, but in terms of how it resonated with me. I first heard Mitski, I think, in the basement of my residence when I was in my first year of university in like 2016. My friend Becky was like, have you ever heard Mitski? Like, she, she's really good. And I was like, I think she played me something. And I was like, oh, yeah, this this slaps for sure. But I don't know. Maybe I was just in the middle of studying or something. It just didn't really <laughs> stick with me. So that was in 2016. But it wasn't until 2017 when Puberty 2 came out and I heard I Bet on Losing Dogs. I don't know what that song did to me, but I it, I just had it on rotation for about six months and sort of similar to Jared. I wasn't in the best place. I had a lot of, you know, when you're like 19 and maybe in a way going through your second puberty, you just yeah. have a lot of new emotions you don't know how to deal with. And uh, I think that's, I mean, to put it briefly, that's sort of what I was going through. I was like, I didn't really have words to put to anything. I was experiencing a lot of things for the first time, being on my own, not really having a lot of friends in the, like, you know, being thrown into a university sort of like a school scenario where you didn't really know anyone. And yeah, just personally going through some troubles. And that was the song that did it for me. I listened to only that song for about six months. And then I listened to the rest of Puberty 2. I was like, this is good. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then I was hooked. There's not much of a story after that. I just found her music to be so powerful. This was what year? 2017, summer. The five, five years of Misky fandom. Which is weird to think about. I thought about that the other day. It's, I don't remember life before Mitski, honestly. <laughs> honestly, yeah. Because it's just been the soundtrack to everything. I think, I don't know, earworms. It's got lots of earworms. They are, you sure. can dance to it. You can cry to it. You yeah. can sit in silence to it. You also, you also find yourself just pulling away from every single song that she writes. And whatever reason, you're always like, God, she gets it. Like yeah. she really gets it, whatever it is. But yeah, you that's what I'm so- saying. It's so ineffable. Like I, I, it's so hard to articulate. I mean, yeah, you can, or I can put some. I can align like the song and the experiences. Say like, because when you listen to music, it's sort of inevitable. You're gonna think about what you're going through at the time and mm-hmm. how it relates to it. Yeah, I can draw some parallels there and some themes. But like, there's an ineffable feeling you get inside of like your chest when you're listening to a Mitski song. Absolutely. At least for me, and I'm just like, this is perfect. You guys, you guys both had similar experiences um, grabbing onto this music as something that you really needed to reach out to. Um, you know the first time I heard Mitski? Please tell us. Four weeks ago. <laughs> four weeks ago, researching for this podcast. Uh, I feel like if you could rank everyone in attendance in that building by how big a fan they are of Mitski, I have to be in the bottom 1%. Hey, at least you're there. I was there, but but I and, I and and frankly, the past four weeks, I think she's fucking awesome. I've watched all the interviews. It's my job. 
Uh, I've done all the research, read all the profiles, listened to all the albums. She's fucking great. She's awesome. But I cannot compare to the other people in that venue. Massey Hall, Massey Hall has, where she played, she played Massey Hall, uh, 2,750 person capacity. Okay. So that would mean 1%, like I said, is 27 people. I have to be in that group. <laughs> I have to be. 27 people? I couldn't look across that crowd and find 26 other people that weren't, I mean, I was into it, but that weren't crying, screaming, singing. I, I Like, I'm in there with the parent chaperones and, <laughs> and the good boyfriends. It was the first time I ever had a set list out on my phone so I could cross-reference <laughs> during a concert. Like, oh, th oh, okay, this one's from this. <laughs> um, uh, before we talk about the show, uh, which we're going to go deep in because it's the, I mean, my first concert in a long time, uh, and so was Tony's. Jared went to Tyler last week, that lucky boy. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to take a look at um, what Mitski's music is about uh, because it is the subject matter and the themes are, you know, and the motifs are absolutely integral. They're the main reference point to her live show, to her album, to her public persona. Um, let's start with uh, something because we can. Uh, Mitski is... Asian American. Mm -hmm. She is Japanese American. She doesn't look at herself this way. Uh, but it's something that is frequently alluded to. And the experience of Mitski as an Asian American woman has completely contextualized her music. It's perhaps best defined by one of her breakout songs, Your Best American Girl. Also arguably her best song. You think that's her best song? I think it, I think it's a conversation. Tony, is, there a, is, that, is, there, is that a... It's a favorite of mine for sure. Yeah, number one. Really, yeah. number one. It, it it's it was the song know. that made me go like wow this is really like one of our best songwriters you know what hmm. uh tony give us a minute on let's off the top of your head i know this i know this wasn't in the notes yeah give us a minute on your best american girl for the people that don't know what it's about what is that song what she's singing about how difficult it is to feel like an outsider in your own relationship mm. to me and feeling the tensions of that, like on one hand, you want someone so badly because they represent maybe an ideal you've always been taught you should want. Like even the music video kind of references that this kind of like bohemian cool guy. And then you're because that's like exactly what the mu music video represents and sort of the tensions of that being unattainable and trying to sort of mold yourself in a way to try and fit that as much as possible and just realizing that to do that you have to lose a part of yourself in that process mm -hmm. a part of yourself that is maybe more integral to you than you initially thoughts thought and to me that's really summarized in the line where it's like in the last chorus when she's like your mother wouldn't approve of the way my mother raised me but i do i finally I do, do yeah. yeah i think that's the line that really sums up the song for me and her so, so kind of referring to heritage by talking about her mother and talking about being an outsider as is as, uh, do you think that relates to her being asian american or do you think it's more general and people have now interpreted the song as your best american girl like I, like like the word that sticks out to me is american definitely i mean i can't speak to necessarily exactly what mitski was thinking of when she was writing it but at least when when I heard the song and it could def it definitely represents that I think at least for her fans as well who maybe say are Asian American themselves like I think that's it's some that's something it represents for them the way I kind of saw the use of the word American is like kind of a placeholder placeholder for ideal mm. like ideal person Absolutely. that has everything they have the popularity they have the looks they have the charm the charisma the sex appeal mm. like and I just saw it as 
the sort of the person speaking in the song is the person who sees themselves as not necessarily having that or not being able to access it for one reason or another. And maybe being part of a minority group is one of those reasons. That's how, yeah, I think definitely the song can, there's a solid argument for the song to be interpreted that way. Persona slash use of fiction I have written as a header in my notes here. Hugely important how she emulates fiction. Uh, she's obsessed with it. I feel like it underlies a lot of her music since this sort of plays into the idea of persona in general. She uses different identities to take us through her state of mind and emotion. Mitski is known for writing songs as characters. Mm -hmm. She's written songs as the coquette, the housewife, the aging couple, the cowboy. Uh, how do you guys define Mitski's persona on record, live, public, interviews? Uh, I kind of find it a bit vaudevillian at times, frankly. Vaudeville. Yeah, like I, I, I was telling I was telling you two this over drinks yesterday. Whenever I hear a song like "Me and My Husband," uh, which uh, is kind of one of her more character-based songs, I would say, uh, I picture it almost as like her talking to a sock puppet and calling the sock puppet her husband. Genius. Yeah, I, I, genius. It, it's it's just it, it, it there's so, <laughs> there's something so like lonely about it. It almost feels satirical. Um, whenever I'm listening to it, and maybe maybe I'm misinterpreting it, but yeah, I, I always and yeah, two slow dancers is kind of the more uh, dramatic kind of uh, the more I don't want to say melodramatic, but kind of the more sentimental side of her storytelling. So hang on here, hang on here. So you actually, when you heard me and my husband, you had a <laughs> you had you had a vision in your head of Mitski with a sock puppet with the two buttons, like the two yeah, buttons. Yeah, I, I, I think she's like. Moving her mouth and she's singing the song of the sock puppet. Yeah, it felt very like it felt very Sesame Street, and it also felt like the saddest song on the record to me, actually. And I don't know why. It's it's not necessarily what she's saying; it's just the delivery of it and like the how happy go lucky it is. It, somehow it makes me sadder whenever I'm watching it, but it, I also find it hilarious. I can't explain why it makes me feel this way, but yeah, that's exactly how I pictured it. I have to I actually think. Can I just jump in please, here? Please, I think that's. 100% how I felt when I heard the song because actually for one of the first times I heard that song I was going through a breakup right. and one of the one of the verses is like I am the idiot what is it like with a painted with face painted in face. the corner taking up space and like when you're at least sort of in that headspace you're like yeah I'm the saddest I've ever been but also this is hilarious I'm just like the clown that's crying over this absolute dirt oh bag my God, or like Tony, the dirt bag perfect. in the song. Yes, that's absolutely That right. is 100% how you feel. You're like, I'm the saddest I've ever been, but also, yeah, I'm an idiot. There, yeah. There, <laughs> I think there's an episode of The Simpsons when, <laughs> and by the way, Mitski, huge Simpsons fan. Bury me at Mako Creek is from a Milhouse quote. I didn't know that. It's something that Milhouse says when he dies. Oh, that's or, amazing. Nobody actually dies in The Simpsons. I think he's actually just injured. Uh, um, so there's an episode of The Simpsons because <laughs> Jared, you don't watch The Simpsons. I've seen a few episodes. There, but. There, there's there's an episode where I think Homer is trying to make the argument that he's not afraid of anything. Right. He's like, Marge, I'm not afraid of anything. She goes, yeah, you are afraid of one thing. He goes, what? And he goes, sock puppets. <laughs> and he goes, ah! And like runs away. <laughs> I do have something, because you sort of gave us like multiple sub questions. You talked about Mitski's persona and I think storytelling. I can't necessarily, I haven't, I'm not, haven't watched a lot of the same films that inform her music writing We're i feel like it's more that. jared's thing We're but in terms of persona i think something else i remember reading a quote like mitsuki talking about her stage name and in some ways i don't think she used the word regret but she talked about how complicated it is that she used her own first name as her stage name 
like how that can feel too close sometimes and really vulnerable. And I've always wondered like narrative, how can you play with narrative in a way that you're not creating so much distance that it's not about you anymore? I've always wondered if playing with narrative was a way for Mitski to talk about her experiences without ne it necessarily being like too close in a way that was like emotionally exhausting to get up and sing every night. Like I'm going to sing about this story. I'm going to, it's almost easier to have insights about something when you narrativize it and create mm. some distance and maybe look from the outside in. And An I avatar. think that's the benefit of, of songs like me and my husband is like, I'm going through something really tough. I can't make sense of it because I'm too close to it. Let me figure it out in a story. It's like, it's it's a veil, but it's a very thin veil. It's a very thin veil. Because uh, on the other hand, you don't want to create so much distance that it feels too abstract and like not like you're a part of it. Yeah, she's kind of a master of that, actually. I she think. is. Yeah. So good at that. Yeah. It's also a good like kind of, kind of trump card like no nah, that wasn't about me that wasn't about me <laughs> that was about me you gotta like, you gotta, like change your mind um, you always have an out if, if you want right it. yeah i'm not singing about mitski i'm singing about the coquette <laughs> <laughs> um okay so on the note of fiction as a mitski's a huge film buff loves movies loves succession oh nice yeah I she love loves that. succession oh, I, there was yeah there was a uh there's a kendall roy compilation set to a mitski song and mitski was like Yep, like all of you, I'm watching Succession, and this is my life, and I love this video. Uh, she, um, Do you remember what the song was? I'll find it. Okay. I'll find it, and I'll put it in our show notes. But um, she originally planned to be to major in film before she uh, went to the music conservatory. Uh, mm. Obviously a big film buff. We talked about character and fiction. Clearly someone who watched a lot of movies. One of the biggest influences on Be the Cowboy was The Piano Teacher. Oh, yes! Which is like... Not even a movie I've like seen like a Wikipedia page for. Like it's like Tony, you haven't heard of this movie, have you? No. I like I'm a big movie buff. What the fuck? <laughs> what, what what is the piano teacher? I right, hold up. So, okay, so okay. I, I, I want to give you. Should we? Should I give you the quote she says first, or do you want to tell us what the movie is? Actually, you should tell us what the movie is first. Okay. What is the movie of oh, the piano teacher? The piano teacher is about a piano teacher played by Isabel Huppert. Uh, wow. She's got. <laughs> she's got a lot of problems uh she's got a lot of issues going on uh and i think a lot of those issues i and, and i'm uh, there's probably a lot of academic discussion on what exactly is going on for this character's head but i feel like she deals with kind of an intrinsic loneliness uh and which is clearly expressed for be the cowboy uh and she ends up falling in love with a younger younger man uh probably too young i don't know if they confirm if he's a minor or not but it appears that he is a minor and the film kind of starts with this strange power dynamic developing between these two characters it's kind of she's sort of like you know this teacher figure who's kind of like taking over uh trying to like kind of insert herself in his life but somewhere around halfway through the film, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's seen it, who's, who hasn't seen it, but the power dynamic switches, and suddenly he's the one in control, and she's the one who can't get a hang of anything, and it gets very, very disturbing. It's very well done. I'd recommend it to everyone. Trigger warnings off the fucking hoo-ha, but like, <laughs> but if you can, if you can stomach it. It's great. And I just, while there's not necessarily a clear through line between Be the Cowboy and the Piano Teacher, I hear it. And just on an instinctual level, I'm like, yes, girl, I get it. I see what you're doing here. Let's hear the quote, though. She, so I don't know. She, she spoils the movie in the quote. So if you want a 15 second push it, go ahead. But like, uh, like uh, let, let's, let's hear it from the woman herself. Yeah, because Misky, Misky was, herself was like, ah, I'm going to spoil this. 
the piano teacher, the character is, is, is frigid. She doesn't express much. She's repressed. I guess you would say. But she actually has these crazy whirling desires inside her. Yeah. That when the young man, Jared very, very love, beautifully uh, explained, actually, when the young man actually gets to know her, he realizes it's way above his pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> and he can't fucking handle it. Something about the ending where she stabs herself. Spoilers! It's like she can't do anything about the desire she is. Feel about the desire she is feeling. So she hurts herself. It's something about that instinct that I felt. Thinking through that and analyzing that and working through it all inspired the character. Well, there's, yeah, and that, that if, there, if there's anything that film is, it's a film of strong emotions. Strong, strong emotions. And it's also, I feel the guy, when he first sees this teacher, he kind of idealizes her as like, you know, there's kind of this like se something sexy about it. Like, ooh, I get to sleep with my teacher. This is crazy. But then as he starts to realize that his teacher is a person, and is a rather fucked up person, uh, sudden, as Mitski describes it, he totally backs off, and it gets a little bit more disturbing than that. But um, what does it have to do with Be the Cowboy? What does it have to do yeah. with Be the Cowboy? It's, it's, it's those, it's the emotions that that movie evokes. And it's also the clear, like, there's a, there's a, a very clear character with the piano teacher. The piano teacher with Be the Cowboy. Very clear character. The Cowboy. Um, and just, I feel that she's taking those feelings of, of loneliness and volatility and also there's power dynamics that are displayed on songs like A Pearl. Um, I feel like she takes a lot of those themes and kind of brings it into the record um, in a completely different way. But the themes are there. Mm. Uh, can I jump in here? Of course. Yeah. Yes, please. To me, Be the Cowboy, like, just because I love that article where she explains the piano teacher and I've not seen the movie, but even just hearing her explanation of it, I see the parallels between her explanation of the piano teacher and her love for it and the emotions that be the cowboy cycles through like to me it's so at least representative of if we were all honest with ourselves what we feel when we meet someone we like like oh my god songs like nobody like you feel kind of like down about yourself you're like no one's ever gonna love me and then you have this weird moment of confidence with i don't know or and then you go through the self-loathing and then you go through the really soft like you cycle mm. through so many emotions and about what a couple of days sometimes it's like <laughs> sometimes over the span of weeks and months or sometimes <laughs> over the span of a day like <laughs> exactly yeah like and to me be the cowboy is so good at doing like just the way that it's structured like the shorter songs the really deep almost like at least to me like uglier parts of yourself that sometimes you don't want to look at like it's just on display. And I don't know. I think it sounds like the piano teacher is very much about that. Like you like someone, you don't know how to access them. You don't really know how to access yourself. You want to be close to them. You have no idea how to be close to them. You're trying your best. It's not good enough. There's conflict. They hate you. The more, the more of yourself you show, <laughs> they hate you more. They pull away. Then you pull away. Then they come back. And it's just like, yeah, absolutely. Be the cowboy feels like that. And then in some ways it mirrors perfectly what happens internally all the time. Like you don't need that extra person. Like oh, the stu I bet you if the student was wasn't there, he's just like the external representation. At least that would be my guess. Is like he's just the externalized version of what maybe is happening inside of her at all times. Absolutely, and I and I think it goes both ways with both of those characters. It's, both, yeah. And the and as they get closer, then suddenly everything goes 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 a goes a muck. Yeah. I. You know what, guys? Let's 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 take a short break, and then we're gonna break down the show. How's that sound? Sounds great. Sounds good. All right. Okay. All right, we're back. Uh, 
Okay, so let's talk about the show. I'm so glad I was there so I can give takes. So it's not just me being like, how was it? Because <laughs> I, I, I experienced the whole thing and boy, was it ever something. Uh, okay, let's start with the bad. <laughs> Tony, Tony, you saw Mitski open for Lord yeah. for melodrama. She had the job of opening for, of, up for both Lord and Run the Jewels, who had just dropped RTJ3. Superstars, three superstars at this point. Mitski, not super well known at the time. Some would call her a nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Great joke. Uh, Tony, yeah. how did uh, last night compare to the Lord gig? You know, she's gotten bigger. She's, she's headlining is another thing. Talk to us. In, oh, they're not, they're really not comparable. I almost didn't even <laughs> consider the first one really, even though I saw Mitski, I was like, I don't think I, it wasn't like, I didn't see Mitski. It wasn't like a show of hers. At mm -hmm. least that's how it felt because I, well, the thing is, there's such a reciprocal relationship between like the crowd and the performer. I can't tell if the crowd was just bad because they were giving nothing, like oh, nothing. No. And like, I was pretty far away. I was on the other end of the stadium. This was like, I think it was the Scotiabank Arena. This was for the mm -hmm. Melodrama World Tour. Um, yeah, not great. I felt like it was hard to really access what was going on. Mitski was definitely playing songs and it sounded really good, but like the emotion, the heart, I don't know if maybe she just had a bad day, but it wasn't, wasn't that great. I didn't feel a whole lot. Um, yeah, it just sort of fell flat and I have a, a strong suspicion it has something to do with the crowd, but her own tour it's just incomparable. Like it was Mitski on fire. It was Mitski in like fluorescent color. It was incomparable. It was like, yeah. Opening so is tough. Opening, Opening is, is tough. tough. Especially yeah. when it's like Lord and everyone is paying to see Lord and you know, yeah. they have enough gas for Lord and one more and it's run the jewels. And a lot of people love run the jewels. I, when we were doing we did Tyler last week and I saw on the subreddit that kids were playing duck, duck goose. <laughs> when Tizo sounds when right when Tizo touchdown was playing and it, like people were like shaking my head that's not respectful <laughs> like, <laughs> duck duck and like like tapping each other's heads <laughs> I can imagine that it'd be really tough for Mitski to to pull off that gig but I mean I guess the performance wasn't 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 bad no the performance was great the sound was great the it, like I vaguely remember the set list it was great like what Mitski was doing was awesome I just. I have a sneaking suspicion everyone was just there to see Lord because even though Run the Jewels got a bit more hype, it still wasn't like the crowd wasn't that attached. Mm. And I feel like the artist must sense that, and it must obviously like affect the the way they perform. It's just I don't think the crowd give a lot. Yeah, it probably takes you out of it a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Half the fun for me last night was seeing how like the rapturous response of the crowd, and oh, you know yeah. that 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 was half the fun for me, and just being like, whoa, holy moly, and it's 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 obviously beautiful to see. 2,700 people who are just super into the show. So I can imagine 17,000 people who aren't into the show is you kind of, it's kind of a bummer. People are just like getting to their seats. They're, uh, they're at the merch stand and you can see a lot of empty seats and you listen mm. to that. And she's maybe not the big star she was. Like I said, that's the year. This is, or this is actually, this is actually after she plays all those festivals where I guess you can sort of collect your fans uh, walking through the stages. Um, I just wanted to drop some research on Laurel Hell. Uh, you know what? Actually, no, no. Let's let's give let's give the people what they want, and then enough of this analysis. We'll get back to that. Let's talk about the set list. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the set list. The okay. set list. Incredible set list. Incredible set list. Um, the set list did not change, show to show, which is funny. I feel like uh, that that would definitely be a lot more work for the entire band to learn 
four set lists or like a whole bunch of different songs with the classics mixed in there. But like everyone who's been to the show is going to be listening to this pod right now. They know she play- opens with Love Me More. She goes into Should Have Been Me, then Francis Forever, which is an older song. Yeah, I yeah. Think that's off Makeout Creek, right? Yep. Should Have Been Me is an old one too. No, nope. Should Have Been Me. And Laurel Hell. Jared, just, it, it just, okay, I'm going to name a song and you tell me the albums. Sure. First Love slash Late Spring. That is Makeout Creek. Me and My Husband. Vita Cowboy. Stay Soft. Uh, Laurel Hell. Townie. Makeout Creek. Make we should do this Creek. every time. This is fun. Yeah. <laughs> I Don't Smoke. Makeout Creek. Okay. Once More to See You. Puberty uh, 2. Yep. Nobody. Be the cowboy. Be the cowboy. Obviously. I, I, yeah, thanks. And TikTok. <laughs> and TikTok. Apparently. The people who like to run. I, I I will. Ooh, I don't know. Bury me. Bury me. Yeah. Drunk walk home. Also bury me. Happy mm. is the first song on Puberty Two. Yes, it is. Your best American girl. Puberty Two. I bet on losing dogs. Puberty Two. The only heartbreaker. Laurel Hill. Which is number one in the country right now for the adult alternative charts. Great song. Geyser. Be the cowboy. Opener of Be the cowboy. Yeah. That's the opener. That's the opener. Wow. Working for the knife. Laurel Hell. Thank you, Laurel Hell. Uh, Heat Lightning. We mentioned that before. You love that. That's Laurel Hell as well. Yeah. Uh, Goodbye, My Danish Sweetheart. Ooh. Which one's that? Uh, it's, is isn't it um, Sad Retired? Oh, like, New Career in Business. Is that our first album? Or? Second. Second. And the hardest one to say. <laughs> that, that, that comma screws everybody up in there. <laughs> That's the only one she played off that. Okay, fair Seems enough. Uh, uh, Washing Machine Heart. Be the Cowboy. A Pearl. Be the Cowboy. That's your favorite. That's my, maybe my favorite Mitski and song. And the, the, the saddest Mitski song, perhaps, is Two Slow Dancers. Yeah, I'd yeah. say that's up there. I can't listen to it. It makes me cry every time I hear it. Yeah. So I just don't listen to it anymore. <laughs> I actually, I was telling my roommate the same thing. I was like, it's actually the only song off Be the Cowboy I don't listen to. That Be the Cowboy stops at Blue Light for me. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, Blue Light it's for me too hard to listen to these. Which like Blue Light's like a twisted ending. If that's like the ending of Be the Cowboy, that is not a good note to end off. No. I, I actually think it's kind of give sick. Me some more, <laughs> hey guys, give us some more details here. So Two Slow Dancers is sad because it sounds sad there's no drums it's a ballad well just the story of it it's about like two like people from like i guess like they had like a high school romance or whatever and they meet in their old gymnasium where they probably danced at prom like 20 years later and they're living separate lives but they kind of recapture this moment and it's just so like that's not sad it's beautiful but it's very (laughs) melancholy like melancholy you know what it reminds me of it reminds me there's this really great film on netflix with mark duplass and sarah paulson called blue jay um Blue Jay makes me cry my eyes out. But I went for like a summer where I just watched it every day. And every day I cried my eyes out. But I was like, I'm going to keep watching this movie. Um, and it reminds me of that film. It reminds me of Blue Jay. Um, and yeah, it's tragic. It's tragic. Yeah. yeah. Um, guys, you have the set list right here. So uh, let's talk favorite songs. Let's talk what really hit. Uh, take a look. I, I just remember uh, watching Machine Heart and uh, Nobody. The crowd was so freaking loud. <laughs> like... Like she asked them to sing too. Yep. So like, like she's not washing like, machine hard in particular. She was like, she was like, yeah, this is karaoke. This is karaoke guys. She literally said that, right? Yep. I, I had trouble hearing her uh, for a lot of the show, but like you could not hear her. You could not hear her. And are those two songs? Those two songs are really big on TikTok. Those are the two TikTok ones. Uh, I bet on, on losing, losing dogs, dogs as well. And I don't something. smoke is big too, right? Yeah, uh, Wait, what part of I bet on losing? I know nobody is so like the, the no so nobody, and people are like running, running away from something, so <laughs> crying and mental uh, health talk. Right? Uh, so the TikTok sound for I bet on losing dogs is someone goes, everybody do the Mitski shuffle, and then you just hear I 
baby mama. Uh -oh. <laughs> and there's always like something like there's like black and white imagery and it's always like oh, comically I'm, sad. I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, everybody do the Mitski shuffle, people. Th those would have been my two favorites, uh, Washing Machine Heart and Nobody. I mean, I'm a pretty basic guy. Like those are just very appeal as populist songs. They sound great live. Nobody you could dance to. You can mm -hmm. everyone's doing their little hip swing and like by the way anybody want to check out our Instagram and look at one of our uh, archive bubbles I'm gonna throw up some footage me and Tony were going yeah, like, you two were killing uh, it oh, oh, overdoing it on the Instagram story <laughs> but uh, guys talk to me uh, uh, favorite tracks and maybe something that lacked or like looking at the set list um I mean I've already given my thoughts on Heat Lightning. That was the surprise track for me. I think another surprise track for me was when I first looked at the set list and I I did look at it before the show. I didn't think Love Me More was going to be a great opener and I actually ended up totally changing my mind when I saw it live. I thought it was such a great introduction to what the rest of the night was going to be like just cuz it's such a massive song, such a massive pop song i was like i feel like it could have been good like being a hot like a high note in sort of the middle of the set list when maybe say you're a few songs in like maybe mm. you, you lose some energy but yeah. nobody ended up being that like energy pickup towards oh, yeah. the middle of the show um it's a good set list that's right she does nobody in the middle it's a pretty good set list i really liked the arrangement of geyser oh so good um what were the back-to-backs i mean we were talking last night you're like i can't believe she played this into this Oh yeah, your best American girl to I bet on losing dogs. I thought that was such a lethal combo. And then like Geyser and working for the knife. I'm like, ow, ow, ow. I'm surprised people didn't have like heart attacks. Like they didn't pull out the stretcher. Like it was like, <laughs> whoa, you guys are nuts. I I actually, there was just, oh my God, it was so, it was so funny. I was uh, sitting beside uh, this girl, Jamila. Shout out to Jamila. You were fun to go to a concert with. Um, <laughs> but uh, her friend was just like crying her eyes out. And Jamila yeah. was like, let it out, girl. Come on, let it out. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it was great. Yeah, there was someone near me too that was just like crying with her whole chest. Like <laughs> what? that kind of cry. What do you like, mean? Like when you're like, <laughs> <laughs> like you put your hand on your chest to like, like in your whole your heart's body is fall shaking. Out. I wanted to reach out to her and be like, this is your show. The show is for you. This is no one else's. We're all just here for you. But like he put this on for you. For you. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and then there's me with the freaking set list on my phone trying to follow <laughs> follow along in 201. <laughs> I actually I was surprised with the arrangement for I don't smoke. Maybe that was like louder than you thought? Quieter than quieter I thought. I guess I'm so used to the distortion, the guitars, the sort of like I guess more like messy feeling too. I don't smoke and it was a lot more refined with the synths and mm. th that interpretation of it was interesting, but I guess I'm so used to the album version that that really struck me when I heard it. I think the the dark horse on the set list for me was I Will. That's so good live. Was it? I didn't even really notice it, frankly. Really? I, I'm not, I don't have that close of a connection to Bury Me at Meek Out Creek. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I didn't, but so I Will really jumped out at you, eh? Yeah, like I will in Drunk Walk Home with fuck you and your money. Gotcha. So good. <laughs> that that was a really good moment. I want to, Jared, your favorite song was, spoilers, a, a Pearl. A Pearl was definitely my favorite. Like a big surprise for me was Should Have Been Me, uh, simply because I find Should Have Been Me, I think it's I think it's a great song, but it's a bit of an outlier on Laurel Hell. It mm. doesn't really vibe with the rest of the record, in my opinion. She's kind of like, you've got the sort of like, the bass line almost emulates Maneater by Hall & Oates a little bit. 
Um, mm. But it came across so well live. And just also, it really, it was the song that really clued into me, like, how great of, like, a live performer she was when she was doing, like, kind of the fake, like, knocking of the door during the... That was cool. Uh, yeah, and like, and like, I think she runs up to the like the door that was on stage at the end and starts knocking at it. At the, I was great. It we was, got more on the door coming up. It was so good. It was so good. Live. Love the door. But yeah, Pearl uh, was crazy. Omissions. If you okay, so the set was an hour and a half, something around there. You get to either okay. Let's let's remove one, add two. Okay. Yeah. What okay. do you got? What do you got? Okay, I would get rid of. I would get rid of Townie. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I would throw in Why Didn't You Stop Me? And mm. I would throw in A Loving Feeling. Not Lonesome Love. We don't, no, is there uh, any space uh, for Lonesome uh, Love? I would love to put in Lonesome Love because I was thinking between Lonesome Love and A Loving Feeling because they're both like these like really tight one minute, 20 second songs. But I just feel as much as I would fucking love to hear Lonesome Love live. I, it may be my favorite Mitski. I keep saying that. It's one of my favorite Mitski songs. I think A Loving Feeling would translate a little bit better live. I think so. And Tony, I th- how about you? Take one out. And add two. Mm. I would, I would, I think I'd take out Townie too. Mm-hmm. The more I look at it, I think I'd take it out too. Which and is I would really add... saying something because Townie was really good live. So the fact that we would take it out. And it was such a high, like it was so good, but I don't, like the narrative I would either take out be my husband just because that's not one of my favorite Mitski track mm-hmm. tracks or Townie but I think I'd go with Townie and I'd add I the first time I saw Mitski live opening up for Lord my favorite song of the night was Thursday Girl it was so oh, powerful Thursday Girl's so good it was so powerful I would definitely have to add that I would have actually I was going into the Laurel Hill tour praying that that was on the set list because i found it so i just wanted to have that feeling again um and honestly i would have really loved to see pink in the night pink in the night's good i really would have liked pink to see i would have really liked to see that song live i i would I, I don't know if pink in the night would be there for me but yeah. um what was sorry the one we were just talking thursday girl is uh, thursday, thursday girl has amazing. to be on there yeah amazing amazing longer set <laughs> Longer set. Well, and you know, this is the, I, we need a longer set. This is the weird thing about, <laughs> and I, I don't think I've ever quite got this in a concert before. Her songs are so like compact, right? Yeah. Like some, they're so short. So it's almost like it's it, it it's very intense because it's like you get so so like caught up in one song and then it's gone and then you're off to the next one and then you get really really caught up in it and then you're off to the next one and it's just like there's no time to really like process what your what one song makes you feel because you're already on to the next one too quickly. Yeah, actually, do you know what I I noticed with the Mitski show? Sorry to jump in here. No, I just please. I'm used to going to shows like I love Florence and the Machine. That's no secret. And I've like I'm used to going to shows and having like special like tour intros for certain songs. Mm-hmm. Like say like a two minute intro to a song that takes you into it. Tyler sort the of like, does it too, actually. Exactly. Like compilations or like even Lord medley, did it with a, the, yeah, like a medley or like a visual component to it. And, and you're right that Mitski just went song to song to song to song. And I haven't properly, I mean, in a way I liked it because you're right that the songs are so compact. They almost speak for themselves. Like mm-hmm. if they had an extended version, I'm not even sure how I would, well, I, and that's the thing. They're they're compact by design, right? Yeah, so exactly. It's exactly. like how, yeah, extending it almost takes away the power, but it makes for a very interesting live listening experience. Absolutely, yeah. 
I noticed that as well. And I was actually, if, if I had not gone to the show, I would have asked you. But I realized when I was watching last night, I was like, these songs are fucking short. Yep. And like, Be the Cowboy, they average, what, two two minute, 20 second? They're like punk songs. And, yeah. and it's almost like, it's a, it's a very artful move to say, you know what, this is the portrait. Just because it's in a bigger gallery, we're not going to repaint it. Right. <laughs> you know 100%. what I mean? Like, versus in the 70s, like if Led Zeppelin, like the Led Zeppelin version of Moby Dick on live is 27 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> You yep, know what I mean? Is. Like yeah. that's a very seventies move. Whereas Misky's like, nah, this is the piece. This is how it will sit. This is what's gonna be. But honestly, I, I wouldn't have complained the other way. You want to do nobody for two more minutes? I'm down. Give me yeah. a little more dancing in there. Give me a ten minute cut of nobody. Ten, cool. Yeah, ten minutes. Just, just get us good. With Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> like, like, bring it like a full disco. No, 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 no. What song is this? <laughs> um, uh, I guess this is now a really good time to talk about performance. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and more closely than we usually do because it's literally why she does this. She's called it her everything and all she wants to do, her reason for being. Uh, okay, have you seen Good Will Hunting? No. Okay, we're going to watch that. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> it's informative that you've seen no, Good Will Hunting. I love Good Will Hunting. No, Good Will Hunting. So, you know in Good Will, Good Will Hunting when he's on the date with Minnie Driver and he goes, um, when you look at the piano, do you see Beethoven? And she goes, I see chopsticks. <laughs> yep, <I re> yep. <laughs> and he goes, all right, all right, all right. He goes, so Mozart would look at a piano and see an entire symphony. And he goes, and that's how I am with equ math. equations and yep. formulas and math. This is a, I think that's a very uh, on point analogy, not to call my own analogy on point, to, um, <laughs> no, it, it, it's on point, it's on point. To see how Mitski looks at something like dance and performance, right? Yeah. Jared, thank you for endorsing it. Um, Tony, I'm sure if you saw it, you'd help me out too. <laughs> she sees performance art differently because how of how intimately she understands it, how intimately she studied it. Uh, she's leveled up since the last time you saw her, Tony, I feel, or in, after 2018 when she was got her first huge break. Um, in the pandemic, she studied up on theater. She read uh, An Antonin Artaud's Theater Arto. of... Arto, thank you. Theater of Cruelty. Uh, the Polish theorist, Jerry Grotowski. The Empty Space by Peter Brook. Uh, he was a former director of the Royal Shakespeare Company. Um, she learned that theater is what happens when a man walks across this empty space while someone else is watching him. I got to tell you, on paper, this doesn't really compare to seeing it in person. But now I, I fully understand that this is a very, very, a, a person who's very, very intimately, has a very intimate understanding of, of theater and performance. Every move she makes, people are screaming. It's very calculated. It's very, uh, uh, like, sort of, appropriate this move it's like very decided jared you're a freak man you've you've actually actually read the theater of cruelty well it comes okay so uh my partner is uh well she she's of, of theater she's currently doing her master's in theater criticism so she's well read on our toe she's probably well read on a, a lot of what you were just talking about but uh, i actually read the theater of cruelty uh, because it was referenced in Euphoria. Uh, the penultimate episode of Euphoria this season was called The Theater and Its Double, which is a collection of very famous Arto essays. And uh, I wanted to read The Theater of Cruelty because I just wanted to get a bigger understanding of it. And his whole theory of theater cruelty, Arto's theory, is basically, you know, it's about um, kind of like trying to kind of evoke the subconscious through performance. Think less about like, you know, the political messages that you're trying to get across the social commentary and it's more about kind of evoking uh pure humanness i believe it's how he describes it um through performance and kind of almost like shocking the audience out of their uh out of their apathy and like really bringing them towards the performance and i i really really 
got that with her during the show, just in the way that she engaged with the audience. Like she's constantly like, not like calling people out, but like, you know, she's using all sides of the stage and she's like, really like doing like these, like, you know, like the, the knocking gesture and like all these like gestures and like taking the mic and pretending to slit her throat with the mic. And it's very much like, it's like, she's trying to not antagonize the audience, but like really like wake you up. Evoke, like, like, like kind of like push them. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. It's completely, it's, it's trying to push the audience. Uh, yeah. For me, it was actually like when she got down on the ground, she like kind of her hand went like from her chest to like, her groin basically and she yes. like got down on the ground and it almost looked like she was on top was that during I mean? working for the knife or i think so yeah. it, it was times. like working times. for the knife as phallus totally freud would love that or <laughs> like... when she was um there was this mo she kept doing this thing where she was trying to scrub herself clean and it almost reminded me of lady Macbeth, like during the out damn spot speech that's what it, it felt like lady Macbeth, like when she was like trying to like it's like she's trying yeah. to scrub herself clean and she can't do it and it was just, it was crazy i loved it i loved every moment of it um, um, yeah. Well, Cassie in Euphoria. Yeah. Well, Cassie's, all, Cassie's also <laughs> evoking Lady Macbeth. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, so, or Ophelia. Ophelia. Um, Ophelia, Yeah, you. absolutely. The best part was Mitski just doing something like, you know, letting her arms go and kind of like hits the ground and the crowd goes, wow! Oh, my God. It was, yes. <laughs> yes, it was so good. Like, if they were like a six out of ten on the loudness scale, Mitski like falls on the floor and we were all like, yes! <laughs> Suddenly we're at like 12. Genius! <laughs> um, uh, do I have any more notes before we go? To yes, actually, I do. On the on the note of performance, a lot of people are gonna miss this, and I want to be the guy to do it because, like I told you, I'm in the bottom one percent in that show, and um, because everyone is in such euphoria with Mitski, and they're just like, oh. Did you ever feel like a documentarian when kind you were of, there? Kind of, but 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 I just wanted to mention uh, Mitski's band. Uh, it was 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 absolutely like incendiary last night, and I, I, people were just like all about Mitski. I was watching a uh, touring drummer, Bruno <laughs> Ezrobilski, probably more than I was watching Mitski last night. And that's, I was sitting, you can, uh, not actually, you can do that because she's just moving around and she's just such a star. But I was sitting right by the drummer. Mm -hmm. I was in 201 where it kind of, Massey Hall is like a big horseshoe and I was at like the point of the horseshoe. Yes. So I'm like, great view of the drummer. Uh, I'm like, who is this guy? I found him via LinkedIn, which is sick. This guy has a LinkedIn. <laughs> he said that he's been working for Mitski Three years to okay. present. <laughs> okay. Uh, he played drums for Hedwig and the Angry Itch. Inch really? on, on Broadway. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's where she, she picked the Broadway guy. Makes sense. Uh, he was her drummer for the Be the Cowboy tour. This guy can fucking drum, man. I, I, I think I, I looked into it because I'm like, how many of these actual Mitski recordings have live drums on them? And Laurel Hell has four. Not him playing. Be the Cowboy has no credited drummer. So okay. Basically no drums, which is weird because I can kind of hear some really organic drum sounds. Maybe it's all stems. Uh, Puberty 2, even more so. No drums. Everything's played by Patrick uh, Moore Highland. What's his name? Patrick, Patrick Highland? Is that, what was the name of the her producer that you, you had mentioned? For Laurel Hill? Patrick Highland. Yeah, Patrick Highland. There's no drums on Puberty 2? That is it like, like it's all drum machine. Drum machine, really? Oh, that shocks all, me. I don't that know. That shocks me as well because even for, even for Be The Cowboy, like be my, me and my husband, like you hear the, <sighs> but don't, 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 maybe don't yeah. <laughs> maybe don't quote me on this because because I looked at the, I looked at the personnel credits on both records and Puberty 2 says Patrick and Mitski are doing all performances so Mitski may have jumped on the drum set for that but I'd imagine like a, a decent amount of um of Be the Cowboy has got some drum drum machine on it like kind of garage band style drum mm -hmm. beats which I which you know that's really dope that this guy has to bring these fake drums to life 
which is not easy. And like, he really did. He was like super in the pocket. A lot of like fills. Like this guy was not, took a lot of liberties and every single one I thought was like, I mean, there were po points where he was drumming and I went, Ooh, <laughs> like when he play a big fill, uh, uh, not to mention that these songs are really short, yep. which I can't imagine is very fun for a drummer. Like I'm just getting in the groove here. <laughs> oh shit. It's done. <laughs> like on to the next one. Probably keeps him on his toes though. Hmm. I'd like good for like stamina. It might be like a really good like exercise of like to like drum for Mitski, right? Yeah. Um, do I have more trivia? I don't think so. I do not. The person on not. keyboards was awesome. That's my shout out. Two, two, I two keyboards, right? Two two or one? Uh, two keyboards. Yeah, two keyboards. I I wish I had her name, but at, at one point. She was like singing along to each of the songs. And I was like, if I played keyboard and I was on that stage, I'd be doing the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I, love I that. thought that was awesome. Because it, it's good to see that they themselves are like a fan and like love the music they're playing. It's awesome. Uh, let's take one last short break and then we're going to get to the categories. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Sounds good. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're back. Let's do uh, let's do the categories. Uh, just handing out some superlative awards for the show. Uh, okay, let's start with the Smothers Brothers Award for Best Practical Effect. That's any effect that happened on stage. Crowd went crazy for them. Things that, you know, aren't people. They're props. There's only one candidate, is there not? I'm thinking the door? It's got to be the door, right? Oh, for me, it was actually the smoke coming behind the door because when it's the smoke started, the crowd, I think, thought Mitski was coming oh. on. So there was like a total false stop. So, so it's like door, it's door adjacent. It's, it's door adjacent. Door adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> You're right, though. It's like when that smoke came out, they're like, Whoa! But, and then but, it was full stop. And I was like, oh, I love a full start. <laughs> I actually, I we, we so we track that. We track the, 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 the start times for shows so people can come visit us to see if they want to be late or if they can be late. And they started right on the dime. But I remember asking the door guy, I was like, can I see your piece of paper so I can see when Mitzi comes on? And it was 9.15. And I believe Michelle, who were fucking unreal, by the way. We're going to talk more about them in a sec. Uh, when Michelle came off at about 8.50. So I was like, oh, this is a good 25-minute hype up. And when the smoke came out at like 9.03, everyone starts going nuts. And I kind of wanted to be like, hey, 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 9.15, people. You guys have got it. And I realized, don't do that. This like, ah, this let them let them do the thing. Wait, yeah. Um, well, she also came on at nine fifteen on the dot. Yeah, she did. <laughs> awesome. Around. What a professional. But she she the crowd also went nuts um for the voice clip of her asking everyone to put their masks on. Yeah. I thought that was I went nuts for it. <laughs> I, I loved it. I was in the bathroom, so I I missed that unfortunately. I know I had to tell Jared, I was like, hey, keep that mask on. This is Miyawaki. You better respect her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Put some respect on her name. Sorry, go on. The door. Why? What? How come? I don't, this is just my trauma research brain. Like, I guess it reminded me of a lot of my thesis readings, like about basically like how you build a lot of clinics, like say you're treating a lot of people with PTSD or something. It's usually good to not have chairs facing the door. And, like, for me, the door behind her and never interacting with it created, like, this tension throughout the entire show. Like, having this important, very obvious door created so much anxiety and tension on the stage, I feel, in this really beautiful way. I really, I loved the door. That's a very trauma-informed reading, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> a tra trauma-informed music criticism over here. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm giving myself away here, yeah. Um, You're right, though, because the door doesn't open. She does not door, walk through the door to finish. She like knocks on it once, but like nobody's minimally answers. Nobody, nobody answers. answers. Yeah. Minimal interaction with the door. And you're like, why have this thing you're not going to interact with? 
it just creates this tension that like you're anticipating maybe some sort of interaction and then just never comes. I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Wow. Great reading. How about you, Jared? Was that just like, oh, cool door? Uh, <laughs> to, to me, it was like a, there was something kind of absurdist about it. It almost yeah. reminded me of like kind of like Samuel Beckett, like kind of like waiting for Godot type like antics, mm. just like like kind of having this kind of minimal set, like literally like the focal point is the door and there's nothing else but the door. It's just, uh, yeah, it was kind of like I, I was more attracted to the minimalist aesthetic and kind of the absurd nature of the door and just, you know what the door what you can link to the door i mean you had one reading of the door i'm sure there's a bunch of other readings that you could have um doors are just great imagery uh so we've done macbeth arto and now you got back i need a fucking theater girlfriend that's like goddamn like, oh, like, I, I want a theater okay, girlfriend all right, man. All right, all right all right as much as i will credit ashling my love ashling you are the love of my life i love you i i uh theater is has always been kind of a passion of mine um uh, ashling is definitely well, maybe Ashton's helped. <laughs> but Versus me, we used to play Joseph in the Amazing Color Dream uh, Coat in my car. That's it. Well, there you <laughs> go. That's as far as my theater theater knowledge goes. But yeah, we give it to the door. We give it to the door? I think so. I think it's got to be the door. And the lighting. Sorry, the lighting was beautiful. So th there was strobe, like, there was color. Like every color the song was, maybe it's like I'm a Lord fan and I think about what color every song is, but like the color for Geyser, Heat Lightning being like red. Mm. Like all of the... Like the lighting just made absolute sense to me. The red was perfect for heat lightning. Yeah, yeah. Nice which is red. weird because I did not think of it as a red song. <laughs> a lot of blue. It's it, it's uh that's called synesthesia. Yeah. And Stevie Wonder had it. Kanye has it too, doesn't he? People say they have it. Okay. Like I could I could listen to a song and be like orange. <laughs> like <laughs> tell people I see mm, this feels like an orange. You kind of do see colors though when you like 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 it's but it's obvious like a sad song is kind of blue. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like there's pink and there's neon and for like really up stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, the Gord. I mean, we gotta rename this. There's way cooler roadies than Gordy, the guy who does the graphics in School of Rock. Hey, we, got, <laughs> we, we got nothing but time. We, we got nothing we... but time. Red Dog is a famous roadie as well from Almost Famous, and he's real life roadie. It's called the Red Dog Award. Well, the Red Dog Roadie Award for best backstage team player. It could be a sound guy. This could be security. Uh, it could be the video crew. She didn't have a screen. She didn't need one uh who uh who was who was working i know we don't like the sound guy he he wasn't great <laughs> he was he was fine it was just the, the sound it, was good yeah but, it, was like, just, it was just the mic and the, it might like listen apologies to the sound guy if the mic was up at max maybe it was just the crack yeah exactly which would yeah. be frustrating or yeah. maybe it they wanted it specifically that way like i don't know what they were intending well, kind of like how like in the dark knight rises like they said that like messing with bane's voice kind of like makes the audience kind of like really like listen because yeah yeah. I love Mitski. There you go. There you go. Maybe Mitski's from She's the... my favorite. <laughs> I can't believe I'm comparing Bang to Mitski. I can't believe I'm comparing a Batman villain to Mitski, but oh, oh well, I guess. No, like... Mitski's, Mitski's Catwoman. How could um, she not be Catwoman? I, I, I want to say... Is she the Riddler? I want to say she's the Penguin. What? Miss <laughs> Mitski the Riddler? Not like looks like. <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't think that's what you meant. I don't she's the Riddles. She's the Riddles. Like, my mind... <laughs> My brain, you guys actually need to help me unpack this because my brain is just saying the penguin, the penguin, the penguin, but I don't know what. There's like, not the there's, penguin. There's literally nothing about the, the Mitski and the, the penguin that the makes sense. The penguin is a crooked politician. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like. Or she, she's, no, you know what? I'm going to give her Mr. Freeze. She's Alfred. Alfred? Why Alfred? Okay, explain that to me. We're Bruce Wayne and Mitski is sort of our 
butler. Sometimes, mm. she, sometimes, she, yeah. Sometimes I see that. Sometimes Alfred's just like, Ugh, I don't want to have to have to console this guy all the time, but it is my job, and I have to keep coming back to work because this is what I do. This is what I love. This is who I am, and I made a promise to Mister Master Wayne. And now there's a new master way. Can we get some snaps for that one? That was yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is not prepared, by the way. <laughs> notice we just went through every single Batman villain before realizing well, she's not a Batman. I was out here yelling, oh, the penguin, oh, Mr. Freeze. Uh, like, so no, that was, that she's was good. Not, uh, she's Max Shrek. <laughs> she's Egghead. <laughs> okay. Um, who are we giving that to, guys? Uh, the, the, the best roadie of the night. You know what? I, I have one. Give it. The usher in our section who had to deal with all the people moving seats around. Oh, that's there was perfect. someone in my section as well. I was honestly about to say it was the usher. Yes. <laughs> no, let, let's talk about that actually. Because yeah. it was like literally no one was sitting in their right seat. No the one show. was. Someone was sitting in my seat. They had to move. They were sitting in the wrong section. I like. But the thing is, yeah, it was like I was showing them my ticket. They were showing me their ticket. They were A8, section 105. Mm -hmm. like, and I was like. I feel like they almost didn't believe me. Like I was trying to scam them out of their seat or something. I was like, no. Yeah, it was the most confusing. And then this one girl was sitting next to me the entire show. And then I find out she's not in her right seat. And then halfway through the set, another couple comes and sits next to me. And I was like, what? And it puts There's like five songs left. And it puts you in this like awkward position, right? Because it's like, okay, but like you see like, okay, that person's sitting in my seat. But look, they're having such a good time with their friends. Okay, I'll just sit in this one seat. And then the usher comes over and then is like, oh, do you need me to get your seat back? I'm like, no, no, just put me anywhere. Just put me anywhere don't make me break up these friends they're having such a good time and it, it's just a mess it's a disaster i broke those, those friends up by the way <laughs> did you break them up so so just kind of i thought okay so let me explain here okay that the jared and i were sitting at c1d1 which mean, meant that i was sitting behind jared which is fair i don't know what i didn't remember buying the tickets that way yeah, but c3d3 sorry so I, I don't mean to get d3 into... we weren't on the side we yeah. were we were in there so that means we had to freaking pass by people every time we want to go to the bathroom basically the main the main takeaway from that but we were sitting next to a lovely couple to our left they were very friendly they were telling us what songs they were excited to hear they were engaging us as well and the usher came through because obviously people had came late and they were like who are these people in our seats <laughs> so jared and i had to pull our phones out what three times be like something we're like we're sitting here uh we i jared ends up standing in the aisle which is basically <laughs> a fire hazard and they're just like, oh, let's let him stand here while we figure out this fiasco. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, Jared, you go to C3. I'll stand in the aisle. Thank you for doing that, by the way. No problem. I, I think you that. may have caught me on camera. I want to see your videos, Tony, because I was like literally standing on the rails <laughs> by the stage. It's like bugging my head. I'm like, I hope I show up in some videos. But the, the guy literally, one of the, the more aggressive usher who was yeah, needing a situation like yeah. this, he came up to me. He's like, you can't stand here, bud. I'm like, well, there are people in my seat. Yeah, what am I supposed so, to yeah, do? So, so, <laughs> so I got an idea. I'll go to general admission. <laughs> at the bottom isn't that and, and he goes nice try i'm like nice try that's the best solution you got it's right actually now actually a pretty good solution yeah, yeah it's like the best solution you got right now yeah. and, and, and he goes and he goes uh i'm like okay whoever's sitting in my seat you gotta look at their ticket because them's the rules and it was the lovely people we were sitting next to and he goes let's see your ticket I'm like you're an f1 go up there and i end up sitting next to the couple again i'm like jared's down there i'm like oh okay why don't i just go to f1 and you guys can stand together they were like so happy and like I said, I'm not in the top 99% there. So it doesn't really matter where I was standing. But like, what a nightmare for the ushers. And like, just yeah. be like, oh shit. They, they literally thought that they oversold seats. Right. No, yeah. they. that's what I thought initially. I was like, did they double book this seat? Like, no, they didn't. Just no one. And like, come on, folks. Just sit in your right seat until the show freaking starts. And then 
move I don't know after, yeah. move after Jesus it's not that hard like why be in the wrong seat before the show starts yeah, not a great not a gr- also just not a great look lackluster like, it's very lackluster so, come on like I get that you I don't know yeah, it's you the principle what? of the thing for me it's the principle <laughs> the of principle. the thing yeah like you bought a seat you bought a ticket people are also just as excited as you like like geez I don't know yeah that I get it, but also logistics wise, those ushers really pulled their weight. Yeah, they were as nice as they possibly could be given the circumstances. Um, yeah. Be- By the way, F1, you were great. You were very thankful. You were very nice about uh, me giving you your seat, your this desired seat back. But you bought F1. <laughs> <laughs> you should not be surprised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Totally. It's, uh, you know, I, I think we were all very uh, cordial about it. It's it was, also weird. Uh, so. they, they must have bought the tickets separately. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It was definitely hard in the in the wings because there were definitely some people who wanted to stand, some people who didn't want to stand, some people who didn't want to stand that were in the back, the people who did want to stand were blocking their view. That was, a, that was a hard part, I think. I guess that lends into a pretty good conversation about like the audience and we, we should just skip to the audience then for sure. But, um, like I noticed, you know what, actually we have so much to talk about this audience. I, we should get, um, finish off these categories first. Uh, okay. So what about the best keepsake? Ooh. Mm. Okay. So you get to take home anything that was at the show. Anything, that, like literally anything. It could be a costume. It could be a prop. It could be, I don't know, fucking the chair. It could, it could, it could even literally be um, something at the merch table that you could have purchased. Uh, what do you, what are you guys taking home from the show as a keepsake? The, <laughs> no, this doesn't count. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, I want whatever Mitski pictured the mic was whenever she when she pretended to slit her throat with it. I thought it, I thought that she literally pulled out a <laughs> knife with the cover on. I was like, oh damn, we're doing <laughs> no, the we're getting dark. <laughs> yeah, it's like getting crazy. I'm going a little abstract with that one. Though. Cirque du Soleil, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, no, I don't know, Tony. What do you what 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 keepsake did you want? I have no clue. Her oh, belt, her belt was really cool. Her belt was really cool. She I took did off like the belt and threw it out. The dress. I, I was just thinking. Was I was cool. like, maybe I'd want her dress. The dress. Like a, a, a copy the of dope uh, dress. I think I'd go with the belt, and you can yeah. have the dress. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I'll, I'll go have these. You don't do the drag thing. Oh, I've worn dresses. Before. You wear dresses. I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I wish I had more confidence to do it more often. But yeah, wearing dresses is awesome. Like Kurt Cobain wore a dress. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just it's fun. But no, I'm not. I'm not a frequent dress wearer. No. I'll take the dress. Now the Halloween costume. I kind of look like Mitski. A little. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I guess, I mean, like, you know, on America's Next Top Model, when you have to dress up as a celebrity and you had to do, like, the picture, like, oh, she's Oprah, or she's, yeah, <laughs> she's, gotcha. yeah. Aaron Chan makes a pretty damn good Mitski. <laughs> Put on that blue dress, point to my palm, and <laughs> circle around my finger. It's convincing. Um, the door. How could you not want to take that fucking door home? Yeah, I was between the door and the dress. Yeah, but but I figured I wouldn't want to take home the literal door. I was thinking like maybe a poster of the door. Well, like I wish I could remember what it looked like in perfect detail. Where are you going to put the door? Where do you think you're going to put the home? door? But that's gonna... what I was saying. I don't want like the literal door. Yeah. I want just maybe like a portrait exactly. of the door. Think big, baby. 
you take your door off your house and you put her door on there and that's your door Only of your house now. Real Mitski fans obviously would do that. <laughs> it's just a fucking door. Like 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 it's true. You know, the play is the thing, right? Like, you know, like that mm. door that door is nothing. I'm another theater reference. More theater reference. Keep it count. I, I was referencing Hamlet. Oh. Is that what that is? Yeah, it's from yeah, it's Hamlet. Mm. Um, but uh yeah, it's like the, then it just becomes a door if it's not on the stage anymore. So Right. Are you crazy enough to preserve a lock of Mitski's hair? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Jeez, do people cold, do that? Common cold. It used to be a thing. You used to, or like, it, you, well, I that's think... what I was going to say. I feel like my, my mom, like, it's something that ha- happens in my family. That's not okay. that weird. Like, like it's it's normal for like babies, for example, like when yeah, they babies start, for sure. Yeah, like saving their first lock of hair. But I get that it's totally different when it's like not someone you know, no. not someone that's part of your family. It's so you, yeah, maybe weird. I would. It's, yeah, it's a, a bit, bit weird. weird. I bet you more than half the people there would have taken that lock and they would have like tickled themselves with it. <laughs> Put on their rouge. With it. Yeah. Is that what you do? Oh yeah, like, like the makeup yeah, like, brush. Yeah, like the makeup brush. Right. Uh. Okay, um, the Canadian audience meter for uh, a scale of one to 10 or a letter grade, let's call it a scale of one to 10, about how the audience was, is 11. 11 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, give it like, I think like, the audience was pretty they were, uh, sick. And, okay, so let me give me a sec here because I doing the research, all I read about these fans uh, is that they're just br- brutal in a way. You know what I mean? You know, like, like as in there was the incident where she was harassed by a swarm of fans at one of her concerts. Uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, compared her fan base to Taylor Swift's fan base and BTS's fan base, which not in terms of size and certainly in terms of intensity. Um, uh, there, uh, before the tour, she released a, a, a tweet asking fans not to film entire songs or entire sets, to which they responded, uh, I need this for my mental health. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. Uh, um, that's actually fucked up, though. <laughs> yeah, that's really fucked. Really- it's so weird that they essentially said, "Too bad, too bad, too bad." Do you want me to have a nervous breakdown? No. Well, then you're gonna let me record nobody. Like, yeah, like, literally, you, literally. Like, like yeah. what kind of like coercion is that? Like, what the hell? I know. But okay, I so totally right, so that you would un- and reading all that stuff, you would go into this concert being like. Man, there's some dicks. There's gonna be some assholes here, but 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 incredibly respectful crowd. Yeah, no, like, I didn't, I didn't like a, wow. Well, I didn't see a single person take off their mask, which yeah. is kind of yeah. crazy, especially living in Toronto. I didn't see full songs being recorded like she asked. Um, weirdly, every applause break, and we're talking ear-splitting levels of people cheering and clapping. I don't know what it was. If there's like some rule, but literally, it would be cheering and then editing it, and they would like mm-hmm. stop. Yeah, very respectful, like kind of applause break uh, where everyone says it's patient silence. It almost reminded me of when your teacher shuts the lights off to make everybody yeah. be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. even for Drunk Walk Home, like the intro when there's just like the kick drum, we were all like clapping mm-hmm. along. But then because the kick drum continues when she starts singing, but people stopped clapping when she started singing. We were all like hushed. And then, to her. <laughs> and then like for the quiet songs, like you, you could hear a pin drop. Yeah, like, when, yeah, like, like totally. people would still be singing, but it would be like very like, does it smell like <laughs> yeah. it was like, like like it was very very respectful during the quiet songs yeah, right you, yeah and, and like we're not usually respectful <laughs> in, like Canadian audiences in general like, I'm surprised like you know when she went to Detroit I don't I wonder if it was like that um or maybe I'm just 
this um, unfairly categorizing this fan base. Um, I, um, let's talk about the audience uh, on this. We're all cool with giving them a high grade, by the way, right? Yeah. Everyone's oh, cool yeah. yeah, they were great. Um, uh, okay, so our section was predominantly female. Jared and Jared and I. <laughs> predominantly? We were the only two men in the section. In 201, Jared and I were literally the only two guys. And I literally <laughs> was looking around the section, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> um, Tony, how about you? Was it mostly girls in your section too? Because yeah. you, sat, you sat right by the stage in a section, right? Yeah, I did. I was front row, section 106. Well, you, you sent me a text at one point. You were like, Jared, the queer presence here is just off the charts. Oh, it is off the charts. <laughs> like, I looked down in my, my combat boots and I was like, wow, there's a lot of combat boots here. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I belong here. A lot of couples, same-sex couples. Yes. Which is great, right? And that, like, it clearly is, appeals to that type of uh, music and audience. But I also saw like people going alone that were like definitely not like the Gen Z age group that definitely looked, Older. I mean, I mean this in the kindest way possible that did not fit in with like the general admission crowd. And Absolutely. that was awesome to see. Absolutely. Like someone who could have been like, around my mom's age shut up mom um but and i again i mean that in a really really kind way like there was definitely like more of a distribution than i expected but at the same time also the generational divides were like so clear i've never been so strangely aware of that like even just in look yep. in people it was it was really cool and in the fact that you could see it but yeah it was i think it was and also just very warm. I lost my thought there. <laughs> very, uh, very, very, very warm for the most part. I know, I know you had a couple of it, it problems um, <laughs> yeah. with, with, with one person in particular, but there, um, like for, for, I found that it was a very like welcoming, warm crowd. I mentioned uh, this girl to Mila who sat beside me and she turned to me and she almost looked sad. She's like, are you here all alone? <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, and, that's so nice. And, and I was like, no, 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 no. My friends are here. I'm just, I'm, I'm not sitting with them currently. Like, do you see the other male in the section? <laughs> that's my friend. Like, 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 shout out, shout then, out to the legend in general admission with the lighter. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Doing like interpretive dancing with her hands Absolutely. too. She was or like, with their hands. She was <laughs> I don't know who one, they were. She was the only one dancing to two slow dancers. Yeah, like two slow dancers was totally quiet and like their hands were in the air just like, kind of like just gesturing like I wish you guys could see it was just like inter literally interpretive dance. Like she, a spell like she was putting a spell like, on something. yeah literally she looked like Stevie Nicks like just like the well, way that Stevie was... Nicks moves nobody can see us but it's, like, it's, like, it's, like, yeah. it's like you're twisting your hand and like like arms above the head and like have like a like a dead expression in yeah. your face. Yeah, absolute legend. Don't think I didn't see you. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it was yeah, the whole, probably the whole crowd saw you. Frankly, I like, know. <laughs> the freaking lighter. But, that's that takes guts. But very respectful. Once again, very respectful. She wasn't being invasive. She she picked her space, <laughs> and it was her space. <laughs> Literally. Um, a good amount of criers in my section. I, oh, I, I, yes. I, I think when Mitzi first came out, one of the girls behind me was like. I'm already crying. <laughs> Are you kidding I'm me? I'm already crying. My boyfriend, Tom, had to bring me a new mask. Oh, no. <laughs> when he came to like get me, I was like, can you bring me like a fresh dry <laughs> mask? Because mine is so good. <laughs> it was great. I nearly teared up at a pearl. I yeah. was like, a pearl nearly brought me to tears, man. Francis forever was what got me. <laughs> it was crazy. I did not cry. I did, not, <laughs> I did not cry. But well, we well, you know what? That crowd needed an objective voice. You know, the crowd needed someone who was like, you know, like, yes, I am the observer. I, I yeah. you know, excellent show. And if, if I'm going to be that guy, I, yeah, I, it was, it was a very, very good concert. Um, yeah. Let's talk about some of the calls that people were, not cat calling, but like, yeah, the, 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 the things that people were shouting out. Jared, you mentioned 
Did you hear the scrumptious? I did hear the scrumptious. Did you hear the There's literally a girl three rows above me, and I think midway through the set, she goes, that was scrumptious, as if she was talking about- About what song? Do you remember? I don't remember. Was it like- Could, could I actually look at the set list? Yeah, I think I can, can probably figure it out if you I look can. at the set list. Um, because I'm just curious to know what song was scrumptious. <laughs> I remember. It, was, it wasn't I Bet on Losing Dogs. I think it was, you know what? I think it was Geyser. Oh, well, I yeah, think, I get why that would be scrumptious. Is guys is scrumptious is like what you would call a nice a roast, <laughs> like like a nice like leg of lamb was scrumptious. It was I think what I liked about the interpretation of Geyser for this tour or like the arrangement. Sorry, not the interpretation was it was weirdly sensual. Yes, like I don't well, well Geyser is a sensual song in yes. a way because you're talking about like you're my number one, like you're the, you're one, the one I one. want. You're, yeah, exactly. There's something about it that is very romantic, but the 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 record version to me has more of like a, um, it's more of like a wall of sound. Yeah, Like it just hits you like a big giant wave. Whereas like, I think it was a lot more like reserved live and yeah, it was kind of scrumptious. Like, <laughs> I see that. I think it was scrumptious. How about you? Anything, like, Tony, you're in a different section than us. Any like stories from the section? No, I think like the biggest thing with our section was like the conflict between like standing up and sitting down. I think there were some people who like wanted to chill, watch her do her thing, like watch the mastery. And there were some people who were there who wanted to stand up. And I think like some of the people who wanted to sit and like just enjoy the show were in like back rows of the section. Mm -hmm. And I think they they went around and like sort of, I think that was the main conflict in my section that I Which saw. Which is whack, you know? I, I I don't know, I felt kind of lonely because I looked at the other side of the hall and was like, everyone was standing up, everyone was dancing. And I was like, I'm gonna want to stand up and dance. But I totally get that that's not some people's thing. I felt a little bit that way too, because like the person, both people on each side of me were sitting down. So I kind of felt like- You had to sit I down as sit well. down just because I didn't want to yeah. take away from anyone's experience. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to block anyone's view. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. guys are too nice. You're too nice. I if literally somebody- We have been told. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why you're here. You, 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 somebody tapped me and be like, hey, can you sit down? I'd be like, no. No, I'm good. Thank you. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm I right to stand here. I, we, have, sorry, we have one last thing. To talk about here, okay, Tell us. and that is Harry Styles. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> because I mean, we're talking about crazy fan bases. One Direction is incomparable. You notice that Wall Street Journal did not mention One Direction when comparing the intensity of fan bases because One Direction's fan base is like they would die, they would walk out into traffic for this group. <laughs> Tony, is that true? That's fair, I think. Fair. Maybe a bit of an overstatement. I don't think so. They love it, right? Yeah, <laughs> whatever if those boys decide, and I think they will to do a reunion tour before they all turn 30 or all turn 35. That's, well, you never know. I mean, maybe later, the, I, the Backstreet Boys came back pretty late in the game. That's so. because they went back to the street. Yeah, true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're all, they're all, they're obviously huge stars. Uh, Mitski's opening for Harry Styles in June on the Love On Tour. Uh, um, the Love On Tour tour. I think you would call that. <laughs> uh, in the UK, this includes a 90,000 person capacity gig at Wembley. Wow. Holy shit. That's going to be really exciting. Is I'm that, excited to I see, see what she does. I want to see the tweets and stuff. I, so is she going to bring the door? Like, and people are like, what's the door? What's all this then? That's right. But, um, so, or we're like, will they have Lord syndrome? Are they going to be like, I just want to see Harry Styles and they're not going to be receptive. I'm worried. But wait, wait a second. Yeah. Before we get, I want to just give some context here as, as to why Mitski is opening up for the like, Megatron. <laughs> Optimus Prime here, Harry Styles. 
Uh, she's a huge One Direction fan. Uh, uh, we just looked at her. Uh, I think it was Be the Cowboy. And there are two bonus songs. One's Frank Sinatra. One's One Direction. It's Fireproof, which she recorded for a benefit album, uh, anti-Trump benefit album in 2017. Uh, she probably got the call. Uh, and uh, they, Hey, do you want to open up for Harry Styles? I can just see her being like, yes, I have to do this for him. <laughs> she, she loves Harry Styles. She wrote an essay about him for the talk house. Um, please go read it. It's She's a terrific writer, music writer. I'm like, no surprise. Uh, Mitski, if this reaches you in any way, shape, or form, I, I doubt it will based on everything we talked about, but you are a killer music journalist slash columnist, and please write something for us. <laughs> well, the, the, the gist of this essay was pretty much paralleling uh, her kind of herself, a lot of herself was in it. Sorry, let me explain. She's uh, talking about how the persona of your favorite artist, your interpretation of this person as a fan can supersede who they actually are she she uh in the essay talks about how she imagined harry styles diligently writing his album which is the self-titled one she was like she basically says oh i picture him writing this in a dark hotel room and like really into it and really emotional uh, and so much concentration and then she looked at the liner notes and said oh there are 20 songwriters per song. <laughs> Harry Styles probably didn't even touch this before he entered the recording booth. And it kind of made me think, I was like, oh, everyone has this idea of what Mitski is and her persona and what they want her to be, whereas she's just the person and she might not be like that. And very often what we think artists are completely supersede who they are um, actually. And that's maybe a bit of a letdown, but it's also kind of a reality check um, I was wondering what you guys thought of that. What do you think she's trying to signal by writing this terrific Harry Styles essay? Well, in that article, doesn't she go on about, and I haven't read the whole article, but I've seen some excerpts from it. Doesn't she kind of like paint this image of like who Harry Styles presents himself as, but then if you go and you like sit beside him at the bus stop or whatever, then suddenly it's like, oh, you're actually not this like, you're kind of you're kind of awkward and you're kind of like you're really like into the fact that you've like got first got into the Beatles and stuff like that and it's kind of like yep. creating yeah. almost this kind of partition between who the persona is and who the actual person is and how the godlike per the almost the deity like persona can never quite live up to the actual person and how it actually almost takes away from the person and yeah kind of the nuance and the beauty of who that person actually is by it's a magician revealing his tricks mm -hmm. in a way you know yeah. but almost it, it, it it's kind of a magician revealing the tricks but also like letting the tricks dictate the magician is almost kind of like well you're kind of almost you're you're underplaying who the magician actually is and why yeah. the magician is able to do what he's capable of because of how unique he is. I, is this right. Sense? That makes yeah, sense. That actually reminds me of an excerpt of a Mitski interview where she was talking about her own songwriting. And I promise this is going to segue into the Harry Styles thing. I'm all tied together. But she was just like, you know, she was talking about, she was like, even she said something like, even though it's my voice and my words and I'm crafting it, there's still this impression that it comes from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Like, and she said, like, people will tell me like, oh, you're so lucky to like have this gift. And I feel like maybe because this was sort of before this was before Be the Cowboy. Maybe those were sort of her first hints of like maybe people starting to do to Mitski what people do to Harry Styles. Right. And that was that was like the one note I had about her essay. I was like, because when she wrote it, it was released in 2017, I think. 
like just before puberty too. And I think the timing of that essay is actually really important when it was released because I think there's a weird, weird full circle moment here. Mm. Um, and I wonder, I wonder if she were to revisit or write a part two now with her vantage point, maybe having experienced. I wonder if they would have those experiences in common now and be able to, you know, this is just me thinking out loud. Like, I wonder if they would share that in common now, just like, now I'm on the other side of that. People are perceiving me in this way. And I don't feel like, I feel like it both. I'll, I feel like I'll both never live up to it and that it, it like will never encapsulate me. Like it both, it's too good to be true. And also like, you're missing me. Like you're not seeing me. It's almost a bit dehumanizing. It's like, yes. now I am yeah, no yeah, yeah. longer this ordinary person. I'm not allowed to be an ordinary person anymore. Right. I'm just, whatever the audience has dictated Mitski as. You become more malleable in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And that's why I think it's such like a, it's such like a lesson in psychology, I think, in terms of like, when you write about yeah. what a lot of musicians write about, and especially Mitski, like, you know, talking about being a commodity, feeling like your body's not your own, when people can just grab you. Mm. And like, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think it just ties everything together. What was I just? Um, yeah, I think so. Whereas yeah. Harry Styles is just like watermelon sugar. I'm good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't. Is Harry Styles? Harry Styles doesn't have sort of maybe the sophisticated way of looking at like persona as Mitski. Do you think? I guess I. For me, I'd have to listen to him talk about it. I'd have to listen to. Him. But I almost feel that like watching how, like I think M Mitski analyzing how she has perceived Harry Styles having that kind of introspective moment might kind of like contextualize and Tony you've basically touched on this like mm -hmm. kind of it kind of like realizing how the world and how Mitski herself has probably looked at Harry Styles has probably contextualized how the world now looks at her but i also think age is an important factor here and that's yeah. something that she mentions in the essay is like he you know well, I don't want to be like victim, but he started experiencing this very early on his, uh, in his life. And I think Ooh. she makes a point point in this in the essays, like as you've grown up with that, like it gets incorporated into your personality yeah, in a way. And I think I forget exactly how she words it in the essay, but it's just something he's grown up with now. It's been like incorporated into the self in a way. Whereas like with her, like she experienced it at what, how old would she have been when like puberty to be the cowboy? She would have been in her mid twenties. She had lived a whole life before. Exactly. Yeah. And a whole life that I think in some ways has she's felt like an outsider has been alienating in ways, but also given her, I don't know, I guess it gave her music. It yeah. was like that's those experiences that made her go, hmm, let's write a song. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in film. I'm interested in music, it, like exploring this. But I think the age is important there between the two of them. And I, I wonder to what extent that sort of makes them different because we've been drawing parallels. But I wonder if that's sort of a way that they yeah, you have to differentiate it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I wonder, so she's opening up for Harry Styles at Wembley Stadium, 90,000 people. Is, is, do you think we're going to get Lord's, Lord Part 2? Where it's just, everyone wants Harry Styles so bad. I wonder how many people, I mean, I can't imagine, I mean, can, I could imagine that it won't be super expensive because there's an entire country <laughs> in that stadium. Yeah. How many people are going for Mitski and are just going to stick around to, to have a fun time with Harry Styles? And how many people are, are just coming to Harry Styles will show up late? Are where they will they will maybe be on their phones mm -hmm. during during her performance? Or do you think she'll be able to turn them all around and they're all going to walk out and they'll be like, "God damn, that opening act was real good." Well, I do wonder how mm -hmm. many people that that is. I haven't 
thought about that, how many people might actually be going for Mitski as the main attraction, and Harry Styles is just kind of like the that. That's interesting. I never, I, I, I didn't think of it that way. I didn't think of it that way either. But that's definitely possible. I mean, when was the last time she was in the UK? Because is Love on Tour a UK to only tour? Or is no, it a world everywhere. tour? It's everywhere, but she's only playing the UK dates. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wonder. That would be interesting to see, like when she was last in the UK, if she was at all. She must have done shows there. It feels like he picked her. It feels like he said, "I'm." I think he got Jenny Lewis for a lot of those uh, North American dates, but it looks like these are important shows to me. I want yeah. to get this opener in here, and I, mm -hmm. you know what I mean. I, I, I can't wait for the photo op. Oh, yeah. when they get that photo together, that is hitting our Instagram so quick. Yeah. Um, many there, worlds colliding there. <laughs> right? Is there anything else that you guys wanted to add? Any else? Anything you missed? Anything in your notes? Uh, I, I honestly, I'm just kind of leaving on this note of just like, hey, performers are people too. Maybe treat them with the same respect that you would treat anyone else. You know, they're not, they're, they're not yours. They, they are their own autonomous being. And just let Mitski be a reflection of that, I guess. Yeah. There was actually something I should add. Um, um, uh, Mitski's opening act in, in the, in the U S was Chai, the great, I guess you'd call them rockabilly punk, uh, act from Japan. Okay. Um, they're awesome. Uh, but their trailer was stolen, uh, on tour. I don't actually have the date. I believe it was Michigan. Uh, a silver pathfinder was seen taking the trailer. Uh, they lost their wardrobe. They lost their gear. They lost their GoPro and they lost all of their merch. I just wanted to mention if anybody's listening to the show, just for a final plug, uh, go visit their GoFundMe, please, because they're only halfway of, of reaching their target. And uh, that sucks. And, that does and, suck. And even though that's happened, they've still been coming out every night and putting on a really great show uh, based on the footage that I've seen. So yes, once again, GoFundMe, Chai. Uh, check that out, please. Uh, sorry to end that on such a somber note, <laughs> but um, watermelon sugar. Yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks, Jerry Styles. Jerry Styles. <laughs> Jerry Styles. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, I thought that I thought that was great, and I'm super happy to have two people who are very familiar with Mitski because she's a very important artist right now that I've just sort of missed. But now, you know, consider me a fan one concert down. Would you Fine. say you're converted? Oh yeah, I was converted four weeks ago when I thought she was St. Vincent. And <laughs> I convinced myself that she's not like St. Vincent and last night was just an affirmation of this artist. She's not She's not going anywhere. We're going to get four more albums, potentially movies, potentially Stadium Acts, maybe one day headlining the full day on a big banner festival. Uh, give me one more note, Tony. Good to have you on the first episode. Uh, where do you want to leave people? Where do, you wanna, where do I want to leave people? That's good. I, I don't know. I'm just reminded of her speech of like, thank you for like, I'm like, it's a gift to have you all here and like a gift to be able to give you my heart. I think, I don't know, that kind of harkens back to what, to what Jared said, like performers are people too. And it's a weirdly religious experience to get to know someone's heart in such an intimate way. Um, and it was so cool. Like after being a fan for so long to be able to see her live, I don't know, major moment for me. So that's my final note. I'm just reminded of what she said. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Guys, thanks so much. Uh, you can see it. You can find us on social media at Smack Media. Uh, follow, us or follow us on Twitter. I know a lot of you aren't on Twitter anymore, but maybe the Mitski crowd is because Mitski Leaks is on Twitter. Smack underscore tweets underscore. <laughs> uh, no, Smack underscore tweets. That's where we are. Thank you. I barely use it myself. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, guys. Of course, thank, thank you very much. Take care.